0: book of Luke, and we've we've been in this first chapter, and we're just taking our time. Our, our our printer wasn't working, so my I have to use my computer for my notes this morning, so hope you're not too distracted by that. But um, we've been in this first chapter, and there's this, I'm kind of having to fight this urge to rush through it, you know, because you want to kind of get to Jesus, and that's what I, I'm really excited to get to is Jesus. But then at the same time, I don't want to skip over a lot of really important stuff that's taking place here in the first chapter in the introduction that's kind of setting the stage for, for Jesus to arrive on the scene. And so there's a lot of really important information that we that we need to pay attention to. And so um, I was going to do a great big chunk of the first chapter and just kind of get through the first chapter. We're going to split it in to a couple of weeks and, and make sure that we do it justice because there is so much good stuff in here. We're going to be in verse thirty nine through uh, fifty six for our time this morning but before we get into the text I actually want to point out something that we maybe take for granted and that is it's really significant that Luke is highlighting two women at the start of his uh, of his telling of the gospel of Jesus. And in the time when Jesus was born, you know, women were, were really uh, thought down on. They, they, were, they were a lower, lesser part of society, and you can actually see through the life and ministry of Jesus that he actually did a lot to raise up women and to bring women into the narrative, and, and he, he trusted women, and he spent a, lo- a great deal investing and discipling the women that were traveling with him. Jesus treated the women of his day entirely different than they had been treated by society that they were in but but here we have in the first chapter we have a few main characters that are Zechariah and Elizabeth remember they're the older couple that that uh, have a miracle birth and that's how John the Baptist arrives on the scene and then we have Mary as another main character of this first chapter but but it's Mary and Elizabeth who rise to the top as setting an example for us and Zechariah the priest who should know more than the other two women is the one who actually has made the mistakes that we learn from where Mary and Elizabeth are setting an example in the positive way that they're seeing things for us. But to show, to show a picture, I actually looked this up to, to get a little bit of understanding. There was a prayer that was prayed, and in fact, this prayer is still prayed as a part of the daily prayers for those who are practicing Judaism. And this is part of the prayer that says, Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile or a woman. And that's that's a part of the prayer that, that they would have been praying at that day. So, so for women to be a big part of the story is, is a big eye-opener for, for anyone who was a part of the traditional culture at that time. And so, just wanted to point that out, but... Um, Getting into the text, starting right in verse 39, this is going to pick up where we left off last week, and remember last week we talked about the, the contrast between Zechariah and Mary, and what was it about Mary that made her the recipient of so much honor in the Scripture, and Zechariah, who actually received a punishment for, for uh, what he did, and it was his belief, or his unbelief, and Mary's belief that it actually changed everything in there. Well, We skipped ahead to find out that it was Mary's belief, and so we're going to dig into that in these verses, and it starts in verse 39 of chapter 1. It says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. What time was it? What does at that time mean? Well, we had to go back a little bit in the verse to see that it was when Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy. And so when Elizabeth was in her sixth month, this is all very important as the story unfolds, When she was six months along, Mary got ready and hurried to a a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, it was important to know that this was probably a three to five day journey. And this is not a journey that, especially, a young girl would have ventured out on her own to go off and, and do something like this. And she may have traveled in a caravan like we saw in the video, or she may have traveled by herself. We don't have any idea what actually took place there, but she went off on a journey that she should not have culturally been taking to see Elizabeth. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear.'" But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? From the very beginning, Elizabeth recognizes that, that the baby that, is, that Mary is carrying is her Lord. Who am I? Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. It's a miracle. It's, it's really a miracle that's taking place, and that's important to note because it had been over 400 years since a miracle had occurred in, in Israel. There had, there had been 400 years of silence between the last book of the Old Testament where the last prophet spoke and when all of this stuff started happening. Nothing had happened in 400 years. There hadn't been a series of consecutive miracles in more than 500 years, No one had heard from an angel or a prophet or heard from God through a prophet in that 400-year span. It had just been silent. And here, after all of this silence, two miracles begin the story of Jesus. Elizabeth, who had been barren and was past childbearing age, she was too old to have children, she was past that. We talked about that last week. So Elizabeth, who had been praying, her and Zechariah had been praying their whole lives to have a child. We learned that last week. And now they're miraculously pregnant. It's a miracle that John the Baptist was conceived. The same thing is true for Mary, for whom it was impossible for her to be pregnant. Now she was pregnant with the Messiah. And so here, after 400 years of silence, we have two consecutive miracles back to back. And so God's voice is starting to be spoken into the darkness and is coming on the scene with a vengeance. But you remember last week we talked about about Mary and her her response showed that she had belief. What what is it though that about her response that signals that she has belief? I had to I had to wrestle with this question a lot throughout the course of the week because one of, the, one of the downsides of a text like this is we've read it so many times, especially throughout Christmas season. It's, it's kind of a traditional passage, right? It's a passage that we read at traditional times of year. and So, so we've kind of grown up, especially if you grew up in the church, you, you grew up reading this passage a lot, and a lot of times our tendency is just to kind of read over it and, and just put it in the context of the Christmas story and not really pay a whole lot of attention to it. So I had to work at taking off those eyes, the eyes with which... I normally read this passage and start looking at it with the magnifying glass and investigating deeper into this passage to really discover what was taking place in Mary's response. So what did the angel say that made Mary want to go see Elizabeth? That's the question that I think we have to answer. Because we just kind of read that as a part of the text. But but here we see Mary actually, she left at that time after she heard from the angel. She got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So we have to ask ourselves, what was so significant in the angel's words to Mary that made her want to go and seek out Elizabeth? What did the angel say? Well, let's go back and look at it. Verse 36 says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled, then the angel left her. And at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Why, why, is Mary, why is Mary this portrait of, of, of the way we should respond when God comes, contrasted with Zachariah? And I think the answer is found right here with what Mary does, is because Mary heard from God, and God said, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to bear a son. His name will be Jesus. He, he's, the, he's the Messiah. You know, he's the one everyone's been waiting for. So that's a pretty big that's a pretty big declaration right a big declaration to Mary and so how how am i supposed to believe this And at the very end we get this clue the angel says Elizabeth she's in her 6th month she's your cousin she's your relative she, you, you probably know her by me mentioning her name. You know that she has wanted to have kids her whole life, and she hasn't been able to. And now she is pregnant, and she's in her sixth month. There's already a miracle that's preparing the way for you to be able to accept this miracle of giving birth to the Son of God. And so what does Mary do after she learns this information? She goes to check it out. She was unable to conceive. Now she's in her sixth month. My, my cousin Elizabeth was, was unable to conceive, but now she's in her sixth month. You have to put yourself in Mary's shoes a little bit to, to understand what's going on in her, in her mind when she asks this question, how can this be? It's a pretty reasonable response, one that many of us would probably ask in the same situation. And, and you, I have to kind of you know, use a little bit of conjecture here, but you can get a feeling for Mary's Mary's inner monologue, you know, this is, this is what I imagine her saying. Of course, this is with my voice in it as well, but, and a little bit of, of Jimmy Stewart from It's a Wonderful Life when he's talking to the angel. But, um, so, okay, angel, I'm going to give birth to Jesus, the Son of the Most High. hmm. And you're, you're saying that my cousin Elizabeth, who, who has wanted kids her entire life, but hasn't been able to have kids, you're telling me that my cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant. I mean, she's, she's like 90 years old, and she's six months pregnant. Hmm. So... You have to see maybe the wheel spinning in her head, you know, she this isn't really what happens in the story, but but you can imagine, well, if you've been around anyone who's pregnant, you know that six months pregnant, that's far enough along that you can probably definitely tell and see that she is in fact pregnant. you could see it with your eyes that Elizabeth is pregnant. You can't hide it. You can't it's hard to hide that you're pregnant when you're 6 months along. So so I'm going to go and I'm going to go see her and I'm going to go see if what I can see is what I think I'm going to see and what you told me that I was going to see. I'm going to go and see with my own eyes if this promise has actually been fulfilled. Now, remember, there had been no miracles for 4 centuries. 4 centuries ago from today was when the Pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock, right? Wasn't that 1620 when the Pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock? That's how long a time span had happened since there had been a miracle. The only miracles they knew about at this point in time were the ones that had been passed down to them through oral tradition or that they had read in the books that now make up what we call the Old Testament. That's the only, their only experience with miracles because it had been so long. So, you can understand why Mary is asking this question, how can it be? But she's thinking, if I, if I go and I see Elizabeth and she's pregnant, then that might mean something about what the angel said to me. So, she goes on a journey that she wasn't supposed to go on by herself for three to five days, and she arrives at Elizabeth's door. See, Mary was on what I call a journey of verification. She, she wanted to verify. She wanted to see the truth. She wanted to actually experience the truth firsthand of what had been promised her. She, if I can verify that Elizabeth is actually pregnant, that will substantiate the claims of what the angel has said about me. If I can verify that it's happened with Elizabeth, then, then that must mean that's going to happen with me too. And so, what happens next? When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Before we continue on with with the story of Mary, we have to ask ourselves, how does Elizabeth know that Mary believed? How does Elizabeth know that Mary believed what the Lord had promised to her? How did Elizabeth know? Because she was standing at the door. Because because she saw that Mary was, had actually traveled to come and see her, and so she knew that Mary believed the promise because she had traveled to see Elizabeth. And at once, Mary now would be able to see with her own eyes that Elizabeth was, in fact, pregnant. She had visible verification. She could see it. She could see that Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Well, that wasn't all. She was also about to get a really good dose of what I would also call spiritual verification. She has visible verification when she sees Elizabeth, but she also has spiritual verification as well, because Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and when she's filled with the Holy Spirit, she says this, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. How could Elizabeth know about the child Mary was going to bear Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord, she knew that the child Mary was carrying was her Lord. The reason she knew was because the same spirit that gave Elizabeth her words was the same spirit that caused the baby inside of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, to leap with joy when when she heard Mary's greeting. Because he was fulfilled, the promise of him being filled with the Spirit was fulfilled in this story as well. Blessed is she who has believed because the Lord has fulfilled his promises to her. Mary is standing right there. Mary believed and she went on a journey. Her belief moved her to action. Her her belief moved her to act on her faith. At the very beginning of this journey, I mean, how would you possibly know that what the angel had said was actually going to come true? You, you wouldn't know other than to just have faith and start to act out on the faith of what you have heard. And so she started to act out on faith, on what had been told to her, and her belief, her faith actually led to a verified and solidified belief. So I have to ask the question of us this morning, what lengths are we willing to go to in our pursuit of the truth? What lengths are you, what lengths am I willing to go to in our pursuit of the truth? Are we willing to go on long journeys? Are we willing to, when we have the, the, the seed of faith that, that is just beginning to grow in us, to actually put our faith into action and take a step and go out and look and pursue the rest of the truth? Are you willing to pursue the truth or do we just kind of settle for what we have and and go on with it? What was Mary's response to the truth? Mary's response to the truth was worship. She went... She sought out the truth, she looked for the truth, she found the truth, and when she finds the truth, and and that truth is confirmed to her by God himself through Elizabeth, God is using Elizabeth as a prophet to speak the truth into the life of Mary when she arrives. Mary's response is worship. She is humbled by the reality of what is going on, and she responds to God in worship. See, our pursuit of truth will always lead us to worship if we're actually pursuing the truth. Part of the problem is we don't actually always pursue the truth. We're pursuing what we want to call the truth. We're pursuing our idea and our version of the truth that fits well within what we think the truth should fit in. And and when the truth doesn't lead us where we think it should go, we kind of shut down the journey. But when we're really pursuing the actual living truth himself, it leads us to worship. What was Mary's response? She said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Listen to the tone of what she's saying. She's not, she's not bragging about how holy and righteous she is, about how awesome she is, because she's the one that is going to carry the Messiah. She understands exactly what is taking place. She says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things. A lot of people have, have attributed some pride and arrogance to Mary through that statement because she said, all generations are going to call me blessed. But, but, but you can hear the tone if you read it in the context of the rest of her statement, that, that it's a tone of awe. All, all generations are going to call me Blessed. It's in the tone of how can this be which is not a question of doubt but a question of seeking understanding how how can it be that all generations are going to call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things holy is his name his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation our ancestors. Her response of worship is a response of humility. It's a response of, of understanding that God is God and I am not, that, that I, have, I have done absolutely nothing to earn this position with God. I have done nothing to earn the right to be called blessed, but, but God chose me and appointed me to be this one who is going to be the mother of the Messiah, and because of what God has done, people will call me blessed, but I understand that the reason I'm blessed is because God has blessed me, not because what I have done to receive it. And I have to wonder about our worship now as we look at Mary's response. She worshiped in response to her interaction with the truth, her interaction with God, her interaction with with what was being promised to her I have to wonder, maybe the reason some of us have a hard time worshiping God is because our beliefs have never moved us to act on God's promises. I understand the, I understand the struggle with this because I am, I'm an inside my head kind of a guy. I mean, you know, my, my strengths, if you do the Strengths Finder test, are, are intellection. That's, that's my number one strength, right at the very top of the list. I, I'm an inside my mind person, I think. And there are times in my life where it's been a struggle to have faith because I want to figure it all out. I, wanna, I want to make my way there in my mind and connect the dots and get all the way to the top of where I'm hoping to end up based on my own cerebral activity. But if truth is just cerebral, we're always going to be left wanting just a little bit. And if we can't ascend there intellectually, if we can't climb the ladder in our minds, well, it just must not be true. must not be true because I can't get there in my mind alone. And so... Our, our lack of faith causes us not to step out in faith because I'm not certain in my mind first. See, I, I want the certainty first and then I'll act. I want the certainty first and then I'll, then I'll step out in faith. I'm, I'm willing to step out in faith if you just give me the certainty first. But it's impossible for us to get there in our minds. We have to step out in faith. So we've talked about as we've started off the series, our faith is not a blind faith. There, there are facts and there is evidence for our faith. We, we're going look to look at that all the way through the series, that there are actual facts and evidence for us to believe what we believe about who Jesus is and what he did and how he lived. So while our faith is not a, a blind faith, it will often, though, require us to act before we have all the answers. Our our faith in God will require us to step out in faith before we know all of the reasons that are going to lead us to be able to believe what has actually happened. See, this is something that Jesus knew. This is what we're going to learn later in Jesus' life. He knew it would be necessary for us who are now 2,000 years removed from the actual Jesus walking on the earth era. We would have to have faith if we're going to believe in Jesus. So he knew it would be necessary for all of us who would be here. And that's us, right? That's us here in this room, the people who are reading Luke's account of Jesus. How do I know that? Look at John chapter 20, verse 26. Jesus is talking. This is after the resurrection. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "'Peace be with you.' And then he said to Thomas, "'Put your finger here. See my hands.'" reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." Thomas believed because he saw and he put his hands in his side. But Jesus is saying, blessed are those who have not seen and have still believed. That's, that's us. If you believed in Jesus Christ, Jesus calls you blessed because you believed without being able to put your hands in the side. And this is what Mary was doing. Mary was blessed because her belief led her to Elizabeth's doorstep. Her belief led her out on a journey. She didn't have all of the answers. It was impossible for her to know all of the answers and how everything was going to work out, but her belief led her to actually put action behind what she had received from God, and she went out to pursue the truth. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. This is, this is what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things not seen. That, that's what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things we're hoping for, the confidence of things we cannot see. If we're going to be people of faith, we have to actually have faith in the things that are not visible to us. So while we want to go out in pursuit of the visible verification, that is not going to be enough. We have to go out in pursuit of the spiritual verification as well, because belief is not only intellectual, it's actual. Yes, there's thinking that accompanies the truth, but there's also action that accompanies the truth. James chapter 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead see we have to have faith to encounter Jesus that's that's important that leads us then though to live out the truth no matter how far we must go we, ha- we have to have faith to believe in Jesus, but that faith must also lead us to actually live our lives in such a way that shows, hey, we actually believe what we say we believe. The, the, the truths that I believe in my mind, I am now putting into action in my life. So if someone were to come in and do a faith audit on each and every one of us, and they evaluated your faith in Jesus, not based on the words that you said, the words that we shared, the, the truths that we spoke from our intellect, but if they did a faith audit on how we were living our lives, would they be able to tell that we believe? See, it's kind of like like the, the pictures that we were looking at. You know, those pictures can be, they can be fun, but the thing that makes them challenging is there's one thing in that picture that we're looking for, but it blends in with everything else so well that it's hard for us to find it. See, there's this one thing in this picture that we're looking to looking for, like Pikachu. I don't know what a Pikachu is. And so I'm looking for this Pikachu, and I spend like 15, 20 minutes scouring this image, going line by line by line by line by line, looking for the stupid Pikachu. And so I go and I look up what a Pikachu is to try to help me, and I still am not able to do it because I can't see the Pikachu. And so I do what a lot of us probably do when we have those pictures and we can't find them. We, we go and we find the cheat online, right? And we go find where somebody has circled and then we're actually able to go in and find the detail of where the Pikachu is. But it, it blended in so well. It was so close. It looked, it, it looked almost like everything else in there. Is that us? Is that how we're living out our faith? Is, is that how we as followers of Jesus Christ are living out our faith? Is that, is that we're just trying, you know, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to let that faith take me to a point where I stand out from anything. I'm not going to stand out from anyone, and I'm certainly not going to go on a journey in pursuit of this truth where I might just look like a fool when I show up at Elizabeth's doorstep asking questions, and she's not pregnant. I'm not going to to act out in that kind of crazy faith. I'm just going to do my best to kind of blend in and, and just fit in with everything else that's going around me, and hopefully at the end of the day, I've had enough faith that Jesus accepts me and calls me His own. And I think the example that Mary is setting for us, the reason she's being pointed to so much here at the very beginning of the story is because Luke is saying... This is what you need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it can't just be an intellectual faith like had preceded Jesus where they knew everything intellectually but it had not affected their lives in any way, shape, or form. Following Jesus actually means we take the truth of Jesus Christ and we not only internalize it in our minds but we internalize it as Mary did all the way down to the depths of our soul and from our souls we are driven to respond to Jesus in a humble way. We worship him in a humble way way and we respond because we can't believe the gifts that he has poured out on our lives and we are going to from this point forward I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ and if that means standing out from the crowd if that means dying a martyr's death like the disciples had to die because they believed this thing that they had been taught then I'm going to do it, I'm going to go to the ends of the earth no matter where it takes me, wherever God leads me, the promises God gives me, I am going to put my faith into action because I believe. That's what's been put on all of us here as followers of Jesus Christ today do we believe do you believe that's a nice story it's fun to talk about at Christmas time and you know kind of come back and gather together and just talk about Jesus but is it more than just a story for you is it a belief that has driven you to change the way you live your life that's how we define belief around here. It's not, it's not just knowing something, but it's actually believing something to the point where you're actually willing to reorder your entire life around this new truth. Have we reordered our lives around the truth of Jesus Christ or have we just tried to fit them in so we feel better about ourselves? I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. just a moment, we're going to sing a song together, and after that song, Rob is going to lead us in communion. We'll take communion together as the body. But before we do that, I just want to, I want to give you a chance to respond. I know this is, this is a message that, that I need to hear continuously. This is something God is always working on me God is always working on me that it's not just enough to know a lot of truth about God, but I actually have to let that truth affect the way that I live. And there are times I wonder if someone did a faith audit on my life where they come in and look at my life and how I live my life, if, if they would be able to tell that I follow Jesus based on how I'm living my life. My, my dream and my prayer and my... my my desire and the depths of my soul is that we be this church here at 6A, that, that we just get that. It's like, that is, that is us. That is, that is me. And I, I'm not going to I'm not gonna do church on Sunday and call it good. I'm going to, as Shad was talking about, I'm actually going to wake up every single day of my life and ask God, what do you, what do you have for me today? How do you want me to live? How can I glorify you? today in the way that I live my life. And then I'm going to live my life expecting that God is going to point out opportunities for me to live for His glory in that day. My life is now about Him and making His name known and bringing more people into this pursuit of the real truth than it is about me feeling comfortable in my surroundings. And That's my prayer for all of us. That's the dream that we have is that we don't just leave these doors and think we've done our religious duty for the week, but that we leave these doors and God has, because his spirit has spoken to our souls, he has led us to want to actually change the way we live. So I ask if you bow your head and close your eyes. One of Jesus' favorite words when he looked at the religious leaders of the day, the, one of the main descriptors he used of them was hypocrites, and it seems harsh, but a hypocrite is somebody who knows something and, but doesn't live their life in the same way, who expects things of other people but not the same of themselves. I just want to ask this morning, it's kind, of, it's kind of a big ask, but are you, am I living a hypocritical life? If Jesus were to come and say of us and ask a question, would he call us, would he have a reason to say, you hypocrites? It's a hard question. I know nobody wants to say I'm a hypocrite, but if we're not living our lives according to the truth that we are, are believing in our minds, then that is what we are. Has this truth really affected our living, or are we just thinking it? So if you're here this morning and, and you're, you're feeling, yeah, there's a gap. There's a gap between between the me that I want to be, there's a gap between who I think the world is seeing and what is actually taking place. There's a gap between, between how my faith is being lived out and, and, and how I want it to be lived out or the expectation of how it should be lived out has been placed in my life. If, if you're here and you say there's a gap, and I, just, I want to this morning, I want to take a stance of faith and I want to step out in faith, and at this point I'm going to follow Jesus not just with my mind, but with my life. And if you are here and you want to take that step of faith, I just ask that you raise your hand. I know there are a couple of hands already going up. Would you say, I'm tired of of having the, the thoughts, but not the life to back up the thoughts. Are you sick of the gap? I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, for those who raise their hands, I thank you for stepping out in faith just by that action of raising their hand. Father, encourage them right now in this moment in the depths of their hearts that their step of faith in raising their hand and responding to you as a, as a step out in a new pursuit of a new life that you have for them. The now that this, this faith is something that I not only know in my mind, but it's something that I'm going to believe with my life, that that now they have the courage to start to pursue you more and they start to have the ability to to shorten the distance between the gap that exists now. Father, I just pray that right now in their hearts that you would put a hunger and a passion to go out and do like Mary did, to visibly and spiritually verify the claims that you have made about their lives. And Father, give them the courage to, to step out in faith as though those claims are already true about them because as we have learned they are. For all of us, Father, I pray that that you would help us now in this moment, from, from this moment as we leave this place, that you would embolden us in our faith that as we are tempted to go back out into a world and blend in with those who are not of you, who are living in the darkness and are not a part of the light, as we're, as we're tempted to, to kind of hide the light that you've given to us, Father, I pray that you would give us the courage tomorrow morning as we wake up and head to work to ask that question, what can I do to live for you today and, and to shine our lights for you this day? Father, give us the courage to, to stand out from the cow- crowd and stop trying to cower into it, to hide behind the unbelievers. But Father, give us the courage to stand out as a true believer. And Father, we know that as we have put our faith in you, that you have given us all of these great and precious promises that that are really unexplainable, that as as we start to begin to understand that you have made us this way, and now our job is not to Earn this position with you, but our job is to live out this position with you that that we have received. We're not trying to achieve, but we have received this position with you. We re- receive this identity with you. That now, from this point forward, my job is to to just put feet to the faith of what I have received. And so I am your humble servant. Do with me as you would please, Father. Use me how you would want me to be used, Father. I pray that as we now respond and worship, that we would respond out of the humility of our hearts, not be because we think we don't deserve it, but because you have given us this great gift and you say we are worthy of it. You call us your child. So Father, now I pray that you fill us with the spirit that we might respond appropriately to your truth as, as Mary has responded in a similar way. Help us to humble ourselves before you and respond and worship. We thank you we praise you that all of us say together we agree with this in Jesus' name. Amen.